What's up, man? How you feeling? Brother Trev, from the block to the ballroom. Episode 15, man. Yeah, one year anniversary. One year anniversary. And, and, and it's crazy. It's really like the, the two year anniversary because we spent a whole year prior to actually recording our first episode and having it put out on platforms where we were just strategizing, talking different ideas. But one year anniversary, man. Um, this is our 15th episode. Um, last episode with Brown, episode 14 was dope. I think about the episode with Culture Currency. I think about um, the episode we had in November 2020 when we were just talking about the election and the contract with Black America. Um, when James Johnson came on the show, we would tackle different um, instances with, with police injustice and things of that. Bro, we've, we've touched on so much, man. We've touched on so much. And I think you hit the nail on the head for me earlier where you were talking about the power of uh, testimonials. And I think one of the amazing things about the show is how many people that I know, you know, they, they might not be like best of friends of mine, but how many people are tapped into the podcast and enjoy the podcast too and enjoy what we deliver? I don't know if you have instances like that that you can relate to, but I think that's really the amazing part one year later that that I, I appreciate. So one of the things I, I really, really, truly like and I enjoy the most is people who listen to the podcast and then they're sending me text messages as they're listening either talking about something we talked about, they're yep. giving feedback, they're giving critique. I really enjoy it. And I, I enjoy hearing people saying that they're talking to other people about the podcast and things that we're doing. I appreciate us bringing on different guests. I definitely appreciate the growth that we've had, you know, like from when we started, you know, we got a whole production manager, shout so out to Bulls. Bro, this, this is our first video episode. Like, <laughs> first video episode, putting this together. Uh, you know, we got Got the sound manager, shout out to Shaq for everything. Um, shout out to the bro now, Rob, that's that's shooting the video for us right now, the first video episode, first of many to come. Sure. We really, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, I'm happy at the growth, you know, last year was about branding. This year's about expanding. Absolutely. So for me, it's, it's you know, it's, it's the proper direction you're supposed to go. And when you're growing, when you're talking about current events, I had my, my cousin, I was here earlier, and he just asked me, how do y'all come up with the topics that y'all talk about? And I, was, I told him, we surrounded about current events, especially current events that have to do with our people, with our culture. And we just talking on it from our perspective. And that can be from the black perspective, it could be from the ballroom perspective. And I think that's the, it's very important for what's going on now. The versatility, I think, is the key in, in, in what we aim to do. And, and sharing perspective, because a lot of times perspective could be very one dimensional. Your perspective is based upon what you know. And because we have exposure to different sides of society, different types of people, different types of culture, we like to first tackle current events. But from, as you said, we'll tailor the approach based upon what it is. You know, even on this episode right here, we might speak about some research and that might be more from the border perspective. We might talk about, you know, Bobby and them just coming home. That might be from a different perspective. But the fact that 
the same two gentlemen can speak to different ideas but from different perspectives is truly what makes it from the block to the board. But, you know, with no further ado, let's do what we always do, brother, and um, do one of the things that a lot of um, our listeners have told us they appreciate, and that's check in on the mental health of your fellow black brother. Dr. J, how you feeling? So mental health, brother, I, I feel amazing. You as, as you know, as everybody know, it was my birthday weekend. Happy birthday, bro. Thank you. I appreciate birthday, it. Yeah. I feel blessed. Uh, I feel great. 37 years of age on this earth. Got a lot of friends that didn't make it to C21, you know, but even still making it through those, those ages, it's, it's been a blessing. And I was blessed to have my family come down here together. I had my mom and dad together for a birthday celebration for the first time in I don't even know how long. Wow. Right? Like, cause I, I was, my, my parents uh, separated after I was born. So it was always celebrate with your mom, then celebrate with your dad. But my parents has always gotten along. That's just how it was because right. they live in two different states. Right. So having them both here, and it was kind of crazy because my mother was running ridiculously late. But also, my sister put a ridiculously early time on when we was going to start, and yet, and still, we waited for my mom. And it wasn't even a question that we was going to wait for my mom. Oh, like, I gotta go. Yeah. Everybody wanted to see her. And then she gets here, and my mom's like, yo, thank y'all for waiting for me. And my cousin goes, well, we had to wait for you, because if we didn't, you was going to shoot us, right? <laughs> because my mom's a correction officer. Okay. So, and you know, my mother always has it on her, which is one of the things I love about her. So, you know, it, it was a good joke. It, it was good to hear that with the family. We're, you know, we're, we're planning on doing some other things in the near future. And I think about a year ago, I was like, I'm not going to celebrate my birthday this weekend. I'll celebrate it the next weekend. The next weekend came and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to celebrate it the following weekend. And then the world closed. And then quarantine. And then also, it's been people and loved ones that died since then. Like, my father just told me, uh, another one of my cousins, his older cousin, died from COVID. Uh, had, a, had COVID, had a stroke, and they found him in, in his apartment two days later. Uh, then they brought him to the hospital, and he, uh, and he ended up coding and passing away. So you think about the amount of people that have died during this time that we wasn't expecting, and me last year just being like, oh, you know, it's not a problem. I celebrate whenever. And it just made me, it just reinforced in my head what my nana used to always say, celebrate every chance you got because you Time never know when the last one. So having that, I, I've, I've been feeling blessed as a birthday. And I even do nothing too crazy. It's, it's just been a blessing, just the feeling and mm -hmm. feeling the family around me, the vibes, the laughter, like having my daughter around. It was just great. I, I thought about the last 10 years because my favorite number is seven. Okay. And, you know, my birthday is on the 27th. So I'm 37 now. I thought about, well, when, when I was 27, what was the things I did? Is that some supreme mathematics also? <laughs> no, 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 no five percenters. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so, you know, I thought back of all the things I, I accomplished since then, like since I was 27. And I was just starting out in my professional career as a nurse practitioner, build a company to be the largest house call company on the East Coast since then. I was on a step team that won national championships since then, pledged a bunch of different people and you know helped bring chapters back and mentored other fraternity brothers, got another job, I got my doctorate, I had a child, you know, like all this other stuff that was done since then. And I'm like, it's been a great experience. Absolutely. You know, like I'm, I'm looking forward to the next 10. And with the next 10, I'm, you know, I'm looking at buying a house, buying property, you know, doing more with businesses, you know, seeing this grow, 
seeing, you know, you also, I'm also at the age where I'm looking forward to seeing my family members' children grow, grow together. Like my boys' kids grow together. We have like six frat chapter brothers right now that's like suspecting that's kids yeah, yeah. within like the next six months. So I'm looking forward to seeing all of that, man. So I feel blessed. I'm in a, I'm in a great, great, great mood. Um, and it's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to shoot this episode, video, and record it. And, you know, and make it do what we do, man. This is therapeutic for me. Do it, man. So go ahead. Go ahead, brother. How amazing, you feeling, bro. brother Trev? How, how's it going? Good, man. And I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, happy birthday to you. Um, I'll also say happy birthday to myself because a little backstory for our listeners. I was you for years. You know, before I was 21, I had your driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was part of crossing at a young age. I couldn't really go to a lot of, you know, events that was 21 and over. So I had, you know, Jay's uh, driver's license for a while. So I had that date of birth memorized, you know. <laughs> and then um, I also used to borrow your car a lot when yeah. I was an undergrad. And your, your code on your, on your uh, was it Expedition yeah. or Explorer? Explorer. You know, the code on, Exp on Explorer was your date of birth, you know yeah. what I mean? So... That's low-key like my birthday, too. Uh, <laughs> I, I was Julius Johnson for a little while before I turned 21. But uh, happy birthday to you, bro. Happy birthday, man. Thank you, Ken. Uh, you out here, you know, swagging it how you swagging a deal all ones on the feet, you know? You got a little kiff drip in the bag downstairs that I tucked away for you. you know Appreciate I mean? but, you for that. You know, like 37, bro. And, um, man, I, I, I'll just give you your flowers real quick. I mean, it kind of hit me this birthday, like 37, and, and that is a... Uh, what I would, I mean, it's always a grown man age, but that, that just sounds like a, a grown man age to me. But, um, you know, I'm just thinking about our circle of friends. I'm thinking about our chapter. Um, bro, you, you've been moving light years ahead as a man um, for a four-year peer group for quite some time. As you mentioned, seven years, like 27. Um, I didn't know you at 17, but I'm sure the people I was around you at 17 probably felt that way. Because even though you analyzed the whole decade back, at 27, bro, everything that you mentioned, like you was a leader at that point too, you know, when you were stepping with Dream Team and you started working on your, you know, your, your, your PhD. That's when we used to, we took the trip down to uh, Miami mm -hmm. to visit you when you was at University of Miami working your PhD. So, man, I'm, I'm just eager also to see at 47 what you're going to be doing because I feel like you've always been um, moving just ahead, pushing the needle, you know, uh, for, what, for whatever birthday you had, brother. So I just wanted to make sure I gave you your flowers, you know what I mean, on, on the show, make sure, make sure you look up, you know what I mean? So, you know, we got sound effects now, so I'm, I'm a user, you know what I mean? We, you know, we done upgraded a little Move bit. Moving so, on up. You know what I mean? So I, I, I'll segue perfectly. Bro, some big things are going inside here, you know that? Wow. Yo, we got we got video episode going on. We got the 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 new mixer, the new the new MacBook is set up. You know, shout out to you know Lauren Bugs, our, our production assistant. Aesthetic is proper, like bro. Like I remember having discussions about this for a while, and for different things, life things, we put it off. Then I remember we just got started. We had audio issues. Um, COVID popped off. We had scheduling issues. Um, but all that said, you know, since February 24th, 2020, we have recorded 14 episodes, 14 quality episodes too. Um, since 2021 started, we've definitely, you know, moved quick. That's been 12 through 15. We're moving much quicker than we did last year. And now we're, at, we're, we're moving at a, a, a quick fashion, but you know, it, it also speaks to the idea of just getting started sometimes. Um, you know, we didn't have, we had most of our ducks in a row. We didn't know everything. We didn't have everything. But I think we got to enough last year, February. We was like, yo, we're we going to kick this off, you know? And I think a lot of that happens too. Like, we were putting it off. 
And then um, I think shortly after Pops had transitioned too, I was like, yo, Jay, let's let's do this, bro. Like we've been talking about this for a while. I feel like I need to put my energy, my creativity to, to a new venture. So let's do this. But bro, a year later, and um, as you mentioned, it's it's really dope when and, and this goes to all our listeners too. Like, I really appreciate when you guys send me a message about a particular point that struck a chord or that resonated with you, whether it was an issue we were breaking down, um, something in the news, whatever the case may be. Because then I know that, you know, we're not just having conversation for us, for our own sake. You know, we could do that on the phone. The whole purpose of recording this and distributing it is so that our listeners hear it also and, and it resonates with them. So, bro, it's, it's an amazing feeling. I'm, I'm here, you know, shout out to Rob doing the doing the uh, the video here. Shout out to DJ Shaq. Bro, the, the growth of this podcast right now has me feeling amazing. But outside of that, uh, I will say I, I, I do feel I do feel well. I enjoy the fact that I'm starting to see the sun come out a little bit a little bit later. Um, so I know we're getting closer. I mean, Staten Island Chuck saw his shadow, so that means an early spring. But you know, we we gonna we gonna see how we gonna see how it work out. We're going to see how it work out. But, you know, our, our DJ, he just came back from vacation. I just feel like every time I open Instagram, I always see somebody on vacation. <laughs> and, and as an island boy, like, I don't I don't enjoy the winter, bro. I don't enjoy the winter. And, you know, I talked about it last episode. It's been a rough winter, weather-wise. Yeah. And the weather the weather has been stressing me out, too, just in getting around. So, man, I just can't wait to um, take a trip soon. I'm, I'm definitely going to Jamaica in April. But I'm thinking about I might have to make another trip before then because... It's just been a, a, a lengthy and a, a little bit of a, a, a rough winter. But I'm feeling great, bro. I'm feeling great. I'm looking forward to what we have going on. Um, and there was something that took place in the news recently that I enjoyed seeing. And, and I'll transition that to our first topic. Welcome home to Bobby Schmurder, man. Front man of the GS9. That song was, you know, when, when, that, when, that, when that song took off, man, it, it, it really, it really, it really did it. I mean, that was a, a number one billboard chart. You know, ah ah ah. Give the listeners that feel for yeah, a little bit. Welcome, welcome home, welcome home, welcome home, welcome home, Bobby. So I just, right. you know, and 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 for me, for me, really, honestly, because I also, because you know, every time you talk on a specific topic, yeah, there's people that have another viewpoint on it, and they're not always haters. Right, but they just have a, another viewpoint. So I also want to address it because one of the biggest things we aim to do on this was on this podcast is to be responsible. So I clearly understand that some of the crimes that Smurda and the rest of GS9 was arrested for greatly and negatively affected some family members. Absolutely. I, I acknowledge that. Absolutely. Right. And my condolences are to them. I also know that there were crimes towards the GS9 family members as well, right? And one of the reasons why people acknowledge, salute Bobby Smurda is not the crime aspect of right. it. It's really because they were in this situation that a lot of them was just forced to be into because <clears throat> where you grow up in, right? Like, and he's saying in his song, I've been selling crack since the fifth grade. And a lot of people can't fathom that thought. But I know what they're talking about. Like, I, I know what it, like, it, it is like to come home and you not being able to afford something or going to sleep hungry and your parents not really being able to do nothing about it. Right. And I know the cycle that that breeds. Um, and for him to fully emerge and, okay, he's going to be in a gang culture, he's going to be doing what we have to do, and there be bloodshed on both sides, 
right? And then they come home without telling on anybody, without without saying, you know, and also he took more time for his friend so his friend could come home. Two of his co-defendants, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's why people salute him because they're like, yo, you stood up for street politics because you were playing the street game and you stood up to street politics compared to somebody. And whether whether you feel a way about that, if it's right or wrong, I also understand that there was other people on the same side of that indictment of GS9, right? There was other there was other people and other crews like the Blickies that all went to jail at the same time and they all starting to come home now as well. And I say the same thing about them in terms of they stood tall for what the street is. Because I watched the Takashi 6ix9ine documentary. Oh, you actually watched that? I watched it because it's not yeah, by Takashi. You got time on his hands. No, no, no. It's not by Takashi. I know, I know it's, it's, it's not it's, by It's not by it. on Showtime. I saw it. But. And it, it's, it's, it highlighted a bunch of things, like people snaking each other. But also, it gets me angry when people support Takashi because he really perpetrated a culture that these people were forced to live in. He perpetrated it for profit. Yeah. And then when it no longer profited him, he Sorry. turned everybody else in. Right? Like he turned every you like you can't profit off of our pain and then want to get up out of here when when they get hot and it no longer suits I you. Mean, we could even we spoke about this before too. We could talk about how America or races that aren't necessarily black, how they consume our culture. You know, and I'm not making this a race thing specifically with Takashi. I was just saying just the idea of enjoying something in the moment when it brings you joy or it brings you capital gains, whatever the case may be. But, you know, when it's a social issue or something takes place, oh, I'm not, you know, but all your favorite athletes are African-American. All your favorite entertainers are African-American. But you have no words on George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, this, that, voter suppression. Like, none of that bothers you, but you enjoy African-American culture so much. So that that's a bigger theme, this whole idea of, loving something or, or using leveraging something in a certain state but then if it you know gives resistance or cause some level of discomfort really oh i'm good on that um and i think you hit the nail on the head man charlemagne the god from breakfast club and you know i i'll be one to be honest i don't agree with everything he says but sometimes he does say things that that resonate with me and he did mention even on his podcast brilliant idiots where i think for me it's the accountability bro it's really the accountability. I feel like we live in a, a era of time where, and it doesn't have to necessarily be street politics. It could be in the corporate world. It could be friends. It could be relationships. I just often see around me, um, I just feel like it's it's hard for people to say, that was my B, or, you know, I caused this, you know, whatever the case may be. And, you know, we're not even going to go deep in the discussion of, you know, the conspiracy and, and, and what GS9 was really doing. But for the most part, when things went down, you didn't really hear a large outcry from Bobby or Rowdy that, you know, this was the system really trying to get them. I mean, there was claims that, you know, the system was going a little bit harder, especially in terms of what, um, what their bail level was set at, mm -hmm. but not necessarily the idea that the system was trying to railroad them and that they were, you know, angelic kids that didn't do anything. I mean, I even heard Rowdy himself say like, yo, we made our bed, we got to lay in it. Um, so, but they did it. They did it to Bobby. Like uh, they didn't really have nothing on Bobby, right? So yeah, his charge. Right. So and, yeah. so to at first, Bobby just wanted to take his trial separately because he he kept saying, "Y'all don't really have nothing on me." Right. Y'all right. just and again because I hate I hate 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 the way the Rico laws are being used 
to manipulate and grab up a bunch of kids in our neighborhoods. It was, it was really built for the mob. Yes. That's what Giuliani, right. when he was an attorney, way before he became mayor, that's really what the RICO laws were for, was to infiltrate the mob because, because the mob was so organized and had so many tears from the copper regime to the consigliere to the boss. You had all these different levels. You had to kind of force linkage because yes. it, was, it was almost impossible that you were ever going to be able to implicate the boss on something because the boss never even interacted with certain levels. But now that the mob, that they, you know, it's been fairly dismantled, now the RICO laws are being used for, you know, to young kids. black kids and in the inner city. Yeah. It was it was a part it was an indictment, uh, I think it might have been two, three years ago, mm-hmm. where they snatched up like 80 kids from the Bronx, bro. I remember you talked about it on the podcast. You right. And it's it. and out of all 80 kids, I think there was three murders. And people were saying there is no way 80 people should be charged with three murders. Right. They just couldn't even physically do it. Right. One of the kids that was brought up in that RICO charge wasn't even home. They were looking for him and found out that he was locked up. That he was already processed for something. Wow. Yeah. And then was like, all right, we're still putting the RICO charges on you. Wow. And then he kept fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. They got him down with all this evidence. They got everybody else to plead out. And then it was like, yo, you know what? We got him on another crime. So we're just going to remove the RICO statue. Right. And he was like, without the RICO statue, I wouldn't even been going through this process right now. Right. right. And he still was convicted. Right, like you, like like you look the way that the RICO laws are being disproportionately used to target black kids, black Latin minority kids in the neighborhoods that we are growing up in. And you want to take it a step further, even if you want to make the claim that the crime may rival the statistics of what the mafia had going on. I could tell you this: the enterprises they're running. Not no, at all. Are nowhere close. Not you at know, all. In terms of revenue and cash revenue coming in, the the, the enterprise they're running is nothing. Could, you know, even in com- comparison to what the mob had going on. So um, it's 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 the accountability for me, man. It's the accountability, as you mentioned. It's um, you know, Bobby also deciding that you know, just coming into money, career taking off, taking additional time for Rowdy and another co-defendant to get less time as well. Which is something even on the interview recently, Rowdy talked about how, how how grateful he was for that. Mm-hmm. So I think you add all that up, and and it was another good point that Charlemagne raised that I, I was actually thinking about. I've also enjoyed watching the reception from some of his industry peers. Yeah, because one good point that was made was that, especially if we're talking about the example, right? The example for the youth, and we both do mentorship, so we're very aware of. Um, how, how you set the example and by no means and, and you said this but i just want to reinforce it by no means are we stressing um or, or trying to make light of what was actually done or any involvement any criminal activity we're more so just talking the idea of well if you are involved in this role and if you go down this path the honorable or the dishonorable way to deal with legal enforcement if it comes down upon you and I think the key thing is like, okay, we, we do a very good job in our culture of showing how you deal with a rat, excommunicate the rat. This is how you deal with a snitch, you know, put them in a corner. It's very important for us to highlight what keeping it real looks like. Yeah. It has to be heralded. So, so the younger generation sees like, oh, there's honor, there's valor in keeping it real. Like we know what, you know, if, if, if keeping it real, and, and this does not what I agree with, I'm just talking more so for the younger generation. If keeping it real relatively kind of looks like the rat treatment, then you have little kids might be like, well, maybe. 
maybe I should just look out for myself then because, yeah. you know, he just came home and got a pat on the back. I mean, you know, and, and for some people that might mean a lot, but for the for kids, especially the, you know, the young Gen Z generation, they definitely don't care about a little pat on the back and a little street credibility. So I do enjoy the fact that you can, especially on social media, because they're so way more than our generation is Gen Z is so engaged in social media. I love the fact that you're clearly seeing that he's getting a warm welcome and a large reception from Quavo picking him up to the different gifts he's being shouted with. I like the fact that that's visible for the younger generation to see because like I said, we do a great job at pointing out what we don't like and how and how that, that should be treated. It's very key that we also point out when you do something honorable or you do something that's admirable, how that should be treated and 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 how that works as well. So. I like I like the way because uh, he's been talking and he said like he came home and while he was in solitary he read up on law he read yeah, up real on estate yeah. real estate and he was that. like he woke up the next morning and was like Quavo let's talk about real estate he was right right and Quavo yeah. was like yo you just got home yep. and he was like yep. I know I've wasted enough time yep and it just it reminded me of my brother when he got out and that's what he's y'all want to talk about real estate I want to talk about these businesses I want and I was like you know you just got home and he was and his response was you know I just spent close to 10 years doing nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm done doing nothing. nothing. Let's do yeah, something. Let's do something. So I'm yeah, happy true. that, you know, because jail is supposed to be rehabilitation. The penitentiary. Right? Like it's, that's, that's what it comes from. The word it's, it's supposed to. And too many times it's not. Mm -hmm. So getting to see this younger, getting to see that Bobby took it as that and is going to make something positive from it, I can really appreciate that. Like I enjoy that. So shout out to, shout out to GS9, shout out to Bobby being home. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing. I'm happy that they're home. I hope that he stays out of Brooklyn. Uh, I really hope that, you know, like, he could come back in to do what you got to do and yeah. say what's up to some people, shoot something, stay out of Brooklyn. You know, the war's, the war's been kind of dying down to some extent right now, and I want it to stay that way. I want everybody to stay in their lane. Make their music, right? Like, GS9, Bobby, Rowdy, make your music. Because Bobby is the real talent behind them. I would, I would, like, yeah, make your I would music, agree to that. Right? Like, all the Blickies, like Tutu, Bills, Envy, Coach, make your music. Have fun. You know, like, leave this alone. You know, the younger boys are in it now. But show the younger boys and show the younger generations that's looking up to y'all, y'all can just focus on music and we can do our thing. Absolutely. All right. So, moving on and, you know, want to shout this out. I want to shout this organization out because it's a big reason why we're doing this podcast, this episode. Oh, perfect. I was, I was even going to ask you about it. We, <laughs> we, was, we was talking about it earlier anyway, so yeah. I was going to you know, ask you about it. But no, nah, perfect segue, brother. So, so uh, to those of you who don't know, I'm the president of the Greater New York City Black Nursing Association chapter. Uh, it's a part of the National Black Nursing Association, one of the largest chapters. And we partnered up with an organization called NIH All of Us. So NIH stands for the National Institute of Health. And if you don't know what the National Institute of Health, they are the governmental research hub that is responsible for a lot of groundbreaking treatments, right? So you think about, so I'll give you some examples that can really hit home. And if at any point, anything I'm not, anything I'm explaining, you don't hit, you don't understand, or, you know, anybody that's in our background right now don't understand, just raise your hand up so I can re-put it and retranslate it because I think that's a very important purpose of what I'm trying to do with this organization but also what we're trying to do as a podcast when we talk about from the block to the ballroom we have to be able to translate both words both ways so NIH is responsible for the increase in the groundbreaking treatment of 
like cancers being increased in treatment of survival rates of greater than 20% over the last couple of decades. The, before, HIV used to be a death sentence. Most people don't know now, what most people don't know now is that currently now, if you have HIV, it's nowhere near a death sentence. Like you can live just as long of a life. Matter of fact, um, there's something called PrEP, which stands for pre-exposure pro prophylaxis, okay. where you can take a medication, one pill, once a day, and it guarantees you, it's 99.9999% effective that you will not contract HIV. Meaning if you have sex oh, with so this, somebody this is, this with is HIV. This is preventative. Preventative. This is, okay. Right? Um, there's also PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis. So let's say you are exposed to somebody with HIV or you just have unprotected sex with somebody and you're afraid that you might have HIV. They will put you on a very similar treatment where you take it twice a day. And it guarantees you will not contract HIV as long as you take it within like the first. Even, even what, what if you contracted it though? No, no, no. But that's it. It takes a while to contract it. I see. I see. So it okay. prevents you from contracting it. Got you. So you just have to be proactive. And once you feel like you may have been exposed, you would need to get on that right away. Right. Okay. So there's also medication treatment has um, medication has come to the point where you can also take a treatment similar to where if you have HIV, it'll bring your levels down to what's called undetected, which means that, un so undetected also equals untransmittable. So if I have HIV and I'm taking this medication and my level comes down to un undetectable, I cannot transmit HIV to somebody else. If, even it's if, at, we, if it's at that low threshold. Even if we have sex, right? And gotcha. it's, it's something that's readily available to a lot of people. Okay. It took a lot of research to get to that point. NIH has been a key figure moving that along. So that's just a fraction of some of the stuff they're doing. Mm. So what they decided to do was we need to increase the, not even just minorities, but underrepresented people into research. Um, and it can mean... Black people, it can mean Latin people, it can be Asian, it can mean the other minorities. It could also mean women, it can mean transgenders, it can mean members of like the gay population, it can mean non-Anglo-Saxon white male researchers. Yes, <laughs> right? Because a lot of our numbers are based on white males. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I'll be having this conversation with my students and I'm like, what do, you, what do you think blood pressure is based on? And it's like, what do you mean? I'm like, when they made these standards, right? Minorities wasn't good enough. They was we was thought of as three fifths of people, and women wasn't thought of as equal. Mm -hmm. So, do you really think that they based any of the standard mm -hmm. numbers with blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol? You think that they based it on anybody they thought wasn't equal? Right, right. And, and these are things that you're saying could vary based upon different ethnic yes. groups and different races. Right. So, because we're all similar for the most part, however, right. we all have cultural differences. Right. 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 Um, so they was like, you know what? We're going to start a research program. It's called All of Us. But then they also realized we can't go into the black community and say, y'all should sign up for research because the black community, for the most part, is going to look at you and tell you, get out of here. Right. Like this Because of that distrust that we've spoke about on, on absolutely. prior episodes. Right. Like you talk about the Tuskegee experiment. Yep. People don't know. Tuskegee experiment started in 1932, I believe. Government comes down and say, hey, we want y'all to sign up for an experiment we're doing. People don't know no better. Cool, we'll sign up. What they really wanted to do was look at the, the progression of the syphilis disease in man, right? 
During this time, they actually found a cure and never told the black men yep. that was a part of this. Just never. So imagine you going to the doctor and saying, something's wrong, I need help. And your doctor's just like, yeah, we're doing everything we can to help you. But they got the cure right here in their pocket. But they just want to continue to observe and see what the reactions garner. Yes. So that's, that's they test experiments, essentially. And, so they, and to help put this into, into perspective to some of the people, if you watch Game of Thrones, right? If you read the book, you know what I'm talking about. But if you watch it, you've never seen this character, but we all heard of him. The Mad King. Yes. Right? That's Daenerys' father. We all heard about the Mad King. The Mad King went mad from untreated syphilis. Right? So it's because that's what happens over the time if you never treat syphilis. Mm. So they find this cure and they just let the black men go on just getting sicker and sicker. So imagine if you were a child and your father is sick and he's going to the doctor and you're like, the doctor should be helping him. And the doctor's saying he's helping him. Then you find out the experiment lasted 40 years. Right. right. You find out that not only was they not helping him, they purposely wanted to see him get purposely sicker. neglected to see what results it would garner. Yeah. So like you have that, right? You have Henrietta Lacks, who was a black woman who had cancer and her doctor pretty much took some of her cells without her consent and ran some tests on her cells and realized it didn't help her, but the same cells she had could be used to treat other types of cancer. So a bunch of people have been, hundreds of thousands of people have benefited off of Henrietta Lacks without her consent. I'm so, looking it up right now. J. J. Marion Sims, yes. who had a statue in the city that actually has been taken down since. He was the father of gynecology. And he used to perform a lot of his experiments on black women slaves yes. um, with no anesthesia. Yes. Because it was believed at the time that, you know, we were animals. We weren't fully. We, we had higher pain thresholds and things of that nature. But here's so. the thing. You said it was believed at the time. Three years ago, they asked medical students. Do you think black people have a higher pain tolerance? And they said yes, based on their skin texture. Majority of them. Mm. This is three years ago. Medical students who's go, medical that are going to become residents that are going right. to treat people, black people. Twenty eighteen. Wow. So you look at all of this. These ideas are permeated. You basically saying, wow. Yes. Wow. So you had all of this, and then you had okay. Uh, we need to go in, and we need to increase our population of research, but we can't do it. We can't talk to them. We can't go to that community. We need partners in that community. So they came to a bunch of organizations that's like us, National Black Nursing Association, National Medical Association, which is the Black Doctors Association. Groups that um, have already, through the community work that they've done, already built up that trust yes. in the black community. So the gotcha. Black Greek Letter organizations are a huge consortium for them mm -hmm. and a bunch of other organizations. And what I've always told people, I'm like, look, I understand the purpose of why we need actual participation in research. Right. Because if you don't, all the numbers is based on people that don't that's look like you. Else, that's true. So for like I'll give you an example. Um let's look at COVID right now, right? We or before I even talk about COVID, let's look at HIV again. HIV ran rampant in the black community. Ran rampant. A lot of us died from it. Um and it's also part of that is just because there wasn't black researchers pushing for, yo, we need medication that's going to work for us. Right. We need medication to get us access to this. Or, hey, I know that there's actual treatments available. I need to get them in the hands of my people that's going through these things. 
So I know the importance of that. So my job as a clinician is to get behind this. And we present on the All of Us program and we tell, like I tell people all the time, I understand that you're uncomfortable. The reason that I'm doing this is so that you won't be uncomfortable. So that when a researcher because says- Because of the trust they have in you? Yes. And, so when a, okay. and, and not just to get people to sign up for this project, right. because I would be doing half my job if I did it, but to also participate and run and conduct studies right. about my people. So a, a big part of it also is someone in your position is also your comfortability with something like the All of Us Project, because- your community's looking to you as the vetter, as the voice. So they're, they're hoping that you've done your due diligence and you, in fact, do trust this program um, as you're being a bridge between them and the program. So what does that entail for you? What is that like when when, when, a, when an opportunity to do a program in collaboration with something like all of us, what what vetting do you have to do? Because naturally, kind of guy, you always say, all right, if I'm going to bring this to my people, I'm going to make sure that it's legit and it actually has their uh, benefit, their best sake at heart. What does that involve for you, finding out that it's like, okay, I could put my name on this. I could vouch for this program. So the, so when they came to us, they asked us, you know, would y'all be interested in partnering with it? And they asked our chapter specifically. Okay. And I said, all right, who's doing it? Who's it behind? He right. said, NIH, National Institute of Health. And I'm like, okay, it's a federally sanctioned organization, meaning NIH. Okay. Huge. They've done a bunch of things. But also, all right, is my people research, is my people identifiers when they sign up, meaning your blood work, questions that you answered, is that going to be safely kept? Yes, it is. All right. Who has access to run these programs? And it's like, what do you mean? Are, who's going to conduct the research? Mm -hmm. I can get people to sign up, but if the people that's conducting the research don't look like them, how are they going to bring their problems? Right. If you've never been in my neighborhoods, how do you know what, what, what's bothering us or what can cause it? True. And I'll give you an example. When I was in, when I was in graduate school, I used to get into it with my professors because I would tell them, stop telling me that my race is a risk factor for disease. Right. And it's like, oh, well, it is. It's like, no, it's not. It, my race is not a risk factor for disease. The situation that I go through that's causing this mm -hmm. is a risk factor. And so, for example, they were like, oh, you know, African-Americans, they just, black people just have a higher risk of developing blood pressure. Right. So they took some blood pressure readings for some people in Africa that's never had to deal with this kind of racism in America or through Europe, and they had lower blood pressure than white people. Right. Or and have they a different a, diet, have a different lifestyle. But then, right. so in our neighborhoods that we grew up, like in Brownsville, like I tell people, I grew up in Brownsville. On a corner, there was a Chinese store, dry cleaners, three liquor stores, pretty much a rundown supermarket. Where were you going to get healthy food options? Food deserts is what they call right? it. Most, most but then also... The playgrounds get shot at, right? Like, I've been shot at on a playground just playing basketball. So where are we going to play at? Right? Like, we don't got the food options. We don't play. I go to school. We, we're fighting for rundown books. Where am I going to learn at? I can't learn. I get shot at. I can't play. I don't have healthy food options. There's nobody else that's putting money into our neighborhoods. That's not a race issue. That's it's a environmental, you, yeah. Right, like that. that you're reacting to your to your environment. So wow. I'm like, if you keep bringing people out of this environment and testing them, of course they're gonna have the same thing, mm. right? Like, grandmom grew up there, um, mom grew up there, and daughter grew up there. Of course, all three of them gonna have the same exact thing because they've all gone through the similar conditions. The conditions are consistent throughout the experiment. Yes, got you. So that's why it was. 
who's going to conduct the research because that is going to dictate who brings up the problems. Right. right. And they were like, well, why don't you do something? And I was like, so we would have access to that. They said, yes, we're going to have access to it. If you were an academic institution, we will partner with your academic institution so you can do research sanctioned by your organization through us. So before you even do research, and one of the things that came out of the Tuskegee experiment that came out of Henrietta Lacks, that came out of some of these other things was that the biggest violation that happened in those projects Mm -hmm. was the lack of consent. Right? Like, it's okay for you to go do something like Myself, it's okay for me to go do something stupid if I consent to it. Right. Right. Or it's okay for me to make a decision that's against sound medical advice if I'm making an informed decision. Mm-hmm. They took away the, the members of the Tuskegee experiment ability to give consent. Because they were blindsided. They weren't aware of all aspects of what was being tested and researched. Right. Yeah. So it's my job as a clinician, as a researcher, as the president of one of the most powerful chapters of the National Black Nursing Association to make sure I give my people back their consent. Right. And this is one of the things that I'm doing with all of us. I need you in it. I need I need to do research on you. But before I do that, I need to give you I need to get your consent. And I need you to know what informed consent means. So what does that look like for you? Sharing the parameters of the experiment. Um how how do you present it? What what, what does that look like for you? So it's it's I'm going to tell you exactly what's happening, what you're signing up for, what I'm also looking for, right? So if I give you an example of if you was looking at a COVID experiment, right, a COVID-19 vaccine, okay. right? And I was saying, so when, you, when you're doing that kind of experiment, it was, some people get a placebo, which is nothing, right? Like nothing's going to happen when you take this. It's like getting water and that's it. Then some people's going to actually give you the vaccine, right? To me, what informed consent looks like in that is... I need you to understand that you may not get the actual vaccine that we're testing, which also means that you may contract COVID and actually get sick and die from it, right? Because I need to also, for you to understand that, you can ask me questions like, okay, if I don't get it, but I actually get sick and end up in the hospital, will they then disclose that I haven't got the vaccine so they can give me as much treatment right. as possible? Or take you out the experiment and to then deal with you right. as an actual patient. So I can actually say, okay, if you get sick, go, because you actually don't have right. the vaccine. Right. So you need to get treated because right. I need to save your life. Right. Your life is more important than the experiment. The experiment. So that, that's part of informed consent. Okay. But also, uh, like another big reason I even agreed to sign up to do all of us is, so a lot of people who follow me, they know I had a nephew that was born at 24 weeks, right? Shout out to my youngest nephew, Ishmael. And it was scary when he was born, right? He was born under a pound, right? He was given an 11% chance to survive. And then he ended up spending like six months in the ICU, ventilated everything. And before that, I had no idea about black maternal health disparities, none whatsoever. I thought people get pregnant, they go to a hospital, they come home and it's a celebration. What I learned was that happened to my sister. We had a frat brother, Dr. Polk, who lost his daughter to black maternal health disparities, right? Shortly after my sister gave birth at 24 weeks. Then a couple of months later, we had another frat brother who baby pretty much was stillborn. And I start looking into it. It's like, is this a coincidence that this is happening? It wasn't. My eyes were just open now. Right, right. And because my eyes was open, I started saying, 
we need to do something about this. Like, we need to do something about this, right? Like, it's why are black women dying three to four times higher than white women when it comes to birth? It should be the most joyous time of our life. Why are they dying? Well, that's what I was going to say to you. That's what I've learned, too. Even outside of the baby survival rate, I've learned about um, the actual mothers, the maternal um, the maternal health aspect, um, Serena Williams. And, you know, a lot of times people try to take economics and void that out of race. So like, oh, well, she makes top dollars. So she has, you know, top physicians. Well, even with, you know, the top physicians in maternal health she went to, they still almost didn't um, listen to certain medical um, concerns that she was raising while she was given birth. And I'm not sure exactly what reversed the trajectory, so- but... Um, there was a, a lack of um, concern and, 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 and pretty much just listening to a woman uh, being aware of her body and being aware of how she feels, they were disregarding her. So imagine the working class black woman, what she goes through, you know? Here's, here's the crazy thing, Trev. They do that a lot with research and say it's more of a class thing than it's a race thing. Right. So when you, again, so going back to all of us and understanding why research participation matters and researchers of color matters, right? Representation matters. When you look at the numbers, black women with a college education have worse maternal health outcomes than white women who don't have a high school diploma. Wow. Right? Black women that make six figures and more have worse maternal health outcomes than white women who are on welfare. It's a race thing. Right. Right. And Economic, if we, economics is not preventing the, uh, the the situation at hand. And if and but then also. Right. So people will look at this separately. Oh, maybe maybe it's something else going on here. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't go and tell you, you remember this research study that we had where. The medical um, students thought that black people had a higher pain tolerance. Right. What if I tell you that a lot of these black women that are dying was telling that they had pain, 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 and these people were saying, oh, it's nothing, you don't have no pain, right? Like, you get those kind of outcomes. So, sorry, somebody calling during a podcast, knowing that we recording, it's all right. good, though. Right. So when, when, when you see that race matters, you see that representation matters when you want to make that difference. Right. I also can bring it to the COVID-19 vaccines. And when you look at it, right, like you break down, what do the participants look like that received this vaccine? Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the percentages of black people? Do those percentages of black people reflect the percentages of black people in America? Do those percentages of black people reflect the percentages of black people that have died from a specific strand? And it's not just black people. I'm saying that because I have a vested interest in black people. Right, right. It's also with Latin people. But then also remembering that not all Latin people are the same, right? Like, you, you have Mexicans, you have Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Costa Ricans, South right? America, very, people yeah. from actual Spain, right. right? And but also with black people, you have people from all over the Caribbean. You have African American from the Southeast, African American from the South South, like Alabama, Mississippi. You have Africans, which is a huge continent that you add up all of the other continents, they can fit in Africa com- comfortably. Mm-hmm. So we're not all the same, and understanding that we're not all the same, and understanding the importance of getting us in research, but also conducting research experiences that's specific to our culture so we can move it forward. So that's really what the All of Us program is about. Uh, We've done a couple of cycles with them. It's been great educating people on it because we just have real talk about 
research, yeah. but also talking to them in ways that they can understand the research, partnering with them. But it's also good when you have an organization like the Black Greek Letter Organization Consortium, and they can say, hey, Dr. J, can you come talk about all of us with our people? Because we can bring our people, we can tell them it's for research, but we need somebody that's a clinician that can drive home the point, right. that can tell them what's going to happen with their data, that's going to tell them that they're going to be behind and responsible for running some of these research experiments and you know, just also certain different things of experiment, also letting them understand you can sign up for all of us. You don't have to participate in any clinical trials. You may just decide, I'm only going to do any kind of research that has to do with essays. Not essays, but um, like click questions. Like you okay. send me surveys. surveys per se. Okay. Right. You have a choice. Right. Because and what, that's also what people don't understand. That, that's what consent goes for. I can consent to join all of us, but I can also consent to not join the majority of the studies that they have going on. Mm. Or I can consent to join. This is interesting to me and I fit it. Let me do this. So I think it's I think it's just it's very important that people understand um, research. They understand representation in research for our people. So you know, huge shout out to the National Institute of Health and all of us program that they have, aiming to enroll over a million people in it. It's a it's it's been good. And I think the key thing that you said is that the the specificness of the research, because as you said, a lot of times these norms. And, and this even goes out, it, this can go for body image, this can go for very, a lot of the norms, and that's how I always say, when somebody tells me what's average, I was like, well, who's this based upon, right? Because a lot of times societal norms are not based upon people that can relate to certain scenarios that may be, or certain conditions that are very prevalent to us. So your norms could vary from my norms, as well as it could vary from John's norms in Wyoming, you know? And we there's too many variances for us to all be compared on this unilateral you know, clear across the board slate. So shout out to you. Shout out to the great, um, the Greater New York Nursing Association that you're, uh, you president? I'm sorry. President. Greater New York City Black Nursing Association. Shout out to you guys for, for forging this alliance and seeing the importance of this specificness with research and, and, and what it could do. Um, and also just being aware that, you know, like we said that this is, these are some problems and money doesn't necessarily always fix perception problems because we we touched on some things that went back to the 1800s and you even showed stats three years ago and i i saw this i read that too that a lot of physicians that were in med school had made that same comment about what they viewed black people pain threshold so a lot of these perceptions are still passed down to the to the present day um but man i, I love you know folks like you and other friends that i have that are in the medical field because that's ultimately what we need we need more of us and more people who understand us you know, providing care and not only providing care, but just shaking up the way that these curriculums or these norms are even derived. So shout out to that. Um, flowing with that, some good news that we recently had um, it, it, in the finance world. We now have two black women um, operating Fortune 500 companies. Shout out, shout out, shout out. Round of applause. So, you know, not not too long ago in 2020, we had uh, Rosalind Brewer, who was a high ranking official over at Starbucks. She's now the CEO of Walgreens, large pharmaceutical company. And now Desunda Brown Duckett, who was um, in charge of consumer banking at Chase, um, started her career over at Essence Magazine, too, was at Consumer Bank um, Banking Division at Chase. She's now the uh, CEO of TIAA, which is Teachers Insurance and Annu um, Annuity Association. So these are two Fortune 500 corporations, large corporations, and um, we have two black women in, in, in that space. And... Is I, I just hope we could have stability 
in this field because we've had black women run uh, Fortune 500 companies before. Um, one of the, I, I'm forgetting her name, Ursula Burns. She used to run Xerox. I met her at Moody's one time for an event. But the problem is it's like substitution almost. One comes in, one goes out. One comes, <laughs> you know, and that's just the reality. Like, it would be dope. Like, all right, two, then three. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like just like when one retires, then it, it, it's just like it's never really growing past two, three. And, and the male numbers aren't too high either. So it would be dope if we just get to a point where it just builds up to a certain number. And it's not just like, you know, you're set two at a time or you're set three at a time. So that was good news. Um. Something that um my cousin, big up my cousin Tracy in Toronto shared me too. So there's a uh, actor, you're probably familiar with him. His name is um Stephen Stephen James. So he goes by name T.Steph on Instagram. So Stephen James has been in a few things. You've probably seen him in the movie Race, which was based on Jesse Owens. He uh he played the Jesse Owens role. He was on oh, if, yeah. if if Bill Street Could Talk, yeah. which was written by James Baldwin. Selma. He, he was in Selma as well. He played Good Trouble. Um, he was um, in 21 Bridges, one of Chadwick's last mm -hmm. um, movies. He was he was in there. So, um, yeah, you know, big up um, big up T-Dot stuff, Yard Man from Toronto. Um, him and his three brothers, Shamir, Sheldon, um, recently started a really dope diversity fund. And I, I like stories like this because it's very similar to um, Marcy Venture Capital similar to Queensbridge um, Venture Capital that Nas has started. I like this idea of taking your your neighborhood or particularly in these cases, um, public housing projects that you grew up in and putting a new association to it. You know, when people often think of um, certain housing projects, certain names, they think of the crime, they think of the destitution that's there, they think of the depravity that's there. And now when you're talking about multi-million dollar venture capital firms with this name, you're now spending um, spinning a whole new definition and new energy into it. So um, they grew up in a, a, a housing project called um, Bay Mills. Bay Mills is a, is a housing project in Scarborough. That's on the east end of Toronto. They grew up there. Um, you know, similar situation which you have in, in, in different cities. But um, in Canada, what the situation is more so, it, it's economic race in the terms of folks immigrate to Canada, you know, they're usually immigrating for working class jobs. They're thinking that, you know, things are just going to work right away. And that's not how it goes. So a, a lot of um, people of color make up public housing in Toronto because they could be immigrants from the Caribbean. They could be immigrants from Africa. They could be immigrants from the Middle East, wherever. But, you know, they, they, they're, they're new arrivers to Canada. They haven't been there for a while and built up real estate. Same way how we discussed on last episode, building up um, money in real estate and just generational wealth. So those are typically the people who you will see in public housing in Toronto. So they grew up there. Um, and yeah, the three brothers, man, they have a, a, a really dope fund going on. I think the numbers uh, so far, they've closed uh, 15, million, 15 million Canadian dollars on planned, um, planned deals to fully back early stage startups, um, Series A startups. And they also have PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, is going to do pro bono legal work for these starters, stuff for these startups. So doing all the, the contracting and things of that nature. So it's just really dope because we talked about it on Culture Currency. We talked about it episode 14 with Brown. Uh, we talked about it with Jesse, these crazy stocks. A lot of times we may have great ideas. Um, but we don't have the know-how capital. We don't we don't know people in these in these places to fund our companies. Um, we don't have access to lawyers. You know, um, 
by the grace of God with our, with our, you know, our chapter, we know a lot of great lawyers who we could ask for legal advice for various things. It could be if we want to start an LLC, real estate, whatever. But the average, you know, person of color might not even really know a lawyer, or, or at least mm -hmm. on that friendly level where they could, you know, pick their brain without actually having to book a whole consultation fee, you know? And depending on how serious you are about that idea, that might be a deterrent from you doing it. Because if you're not that invested in it, you might not want to have to book a consultation. But if you actually have a friend that you can kind of just pick their brain slightly, that that helps. And just the business know-how, just being in that background. So, um, you know. And I, I think it's important for a lot of the reasons what I was just talking about with all of us. Representation matters. Absolutely. Right? Like, it, it matters. So you, you, you look at those two black queens that are now at running Fortune 500 companies. Yep. It matters. They bring a whole new perspective to that game. Mm -hmm. And you give them a giant where they can really make a difference. But then also you get a lot of little black girls that now look at these black queens and go, I can be like them. Yep. Right? Like it, it matters. Right? It also matters to have people behind that can actually make real decisions. You look, you look at uh, T. Dot Steph and his group. It matters. He, he's going to be able to fund things that benefit people that look like him. He's going to be able to fund things that gives people great opportunities to actually grow. And people probably would have been missed by the traditional venture capital firms because exactly. they might just not even, you know, they, they might just not look in that pool. So, you know? ha so having them and, and having them around can make things much better. Absolutely. It's going to make him money. It's going to make the world a better place. And it's going to generate wealth in that community. Representation Absolutely. matters. Absolutely. So I just I just thought that was great. That was that was great to see. And just want to shed light to that to also um, you know, my cousin Tracy, she's been real big on like sharing our podcasts um to, to colleagues her. and and people over there in Toronto. And you know, a, a lot of the economic racial issues we have on this side of the border exist over there as well, you know? So just to draw the similarity. But um, yeah, no, it's it's amazing. I, I I love to see it. Black History Month closing out. Um you know, I, th I thought it was a good month. I, I like what we added to it, too, because yeah. we're, we're, we're part of the, the culture, and we had some great talks. Um, we both enjoyed Judas um, and the Black Messiah. Was there anything else that um, you either took in that you learned a lot from um, in this past month or that you're looking forward to? And it doesn't have to necessarily be black, but just related to the culture. Um, one of the... I've, I've been taking in that some of this, I know there's been a lot of skepticism around a lot of the large white companies running with Black Lives Matter, Black History Month, but not actually making any change. I've seen some of the companies that has actually implemented some of those things, like putting some of these people into positions. And I've seen some of those people thrive. Mm -hmm. I've also seen companies like Jay-Z, like the Marcy Ventures, where he's like, we're going to start this startup for cannabis projects. We're going to start this for people to get black people to get in cryptocurrency. Like some of that stuff is inspirational because it's building generational wealth for people. It's right. giving people chances they wouldn't never have had. But also those people are coming through. And one of the things I've started to realize is that like when I was in, I lied to you not, bro. When I was an undergrad, like I was involved in Jump Nation. I was, I was trying to pledge Kappa. I was part of, like, I was involved in BSU, part of CSA. I did all of these things. When it came to nursing school, I just wanted to exist. Like, I didn't want to, I just wanted to exist. But it was like, oh, you're the only black guy, right? Or you're one of two black guys. You're one of 10 black students. You have to be special. 
you have to speak up, you have to do things. And I was like, I do that everywhere else. I just want to exist now. I've started to realize the importance of when you are the man in your field, when you represent for everybody else that's supposed to come back for you, come behind you, yep. you got to step up to the plate and knock it out of the park for right. everybody else. And embracing that over these past couple of years, especially the past 10 years, but seeing it now, like after the George Floyd, after the protest, right? Like after the big movement to get black representation, seeing some of that come to light and other people during this month, especially like it's been happening for a while, but highlighting everything during Black History Month, I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to like the next couple of months. Now we're in Women's Month, right? right? So for me, I'm like, all right, cool. Bring up all these black queens. Right. Let's see what they're doing. Let's highlight it. Let's 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 get behind them. So that's one of the things that took, that I really took home from Black History Month. Dope. What about you? I wanna um I wanna wrap up Powernomics. It's just such a lengthy, it's almost like a textbook. But I remember I mentioned on the Black Currency episode. I wanna wrap up that book. There's so many gems in there and just things that we need to do um, as as a, as a community here, specifically here here in the states, but as a black community, things that we need to do. I wanna wrap that up. Um, I do need to see the uh, the, the Billy Holiday movie, nice. um, directed by Lee Daniels. You know, I knew about Billy Holiday as a, from an entertainment aspect, but I didn't even know the whole, um, basically, just the legal trouble she was having and this race targeted legal. So basically, essentially, was famous song of hers, "Blood on the Leaves," mm -hmm. which is about lynching. Yeah. Um, and basically, they didn't want her to keep performing this song. Of course not. Right, because it's addressing a societal ill. So Billie Holiday was often arrested on trumped up charges, on fake charges many times um, to, to, to try to de deter her career or to stop her from going out and, and performing. So there's a, a real dope movie that Lee Daniels and he's done The Butler. He's done a variety of things. Um, he directed this movie. I definitely want to catch that. I saw something on PBS this month. My mom and I watched it um, and would like catch up and talk about it. Three part series. It's a little bit of a love story, but it's like historical fiction. Um, based on a book, it's called The Long Song on PBS. And Strange Fruit. Strange Fruit. Strange Fruit. Strange Fruit, yep. And um, I think um, Nina Simone had done a rendition as well. Yeah. But The Long Song is what it's called on PBS. And, and, and essentially what The Long Song is about, it's, it's right around the time of when slavery is abolished in Jamaica and just what those early years look like. And it's basically about the love story between a particular... Um, a particular former slave, and she um, ends up having a child for the for the plantation master. Um, but once the property is no longer profitable for him anymore, and the slaves basically decide, because basically there was kind of like a, a sharecropping system that existed in Jamaica as well after slavery ended. So once the slaves were felt, well, the former slaves felt like, well, you know, we're not doing this anymore. The wages are, are dirt poor, and you know. Most of them, they're fresh out of slavery. They just want to change. They don't want to yeah. work in the fields anymore. Even if you're paying them, they just, and this existed here in the States as well. A lot of people left sharecropping us for them. They just like, I just don't even want to be yeah. here anymore. I'm going to go to Detroit. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to go to Chicago, you know, work in the auto plant. I just don't even want to be near this farm anymore because of all the trauma and hatred that's associated with it. So essentially his plantation was abandoned, lost all his sugarcane crop. Um, so once that happened, he went back to England and, left her but what i even outside of the love story i just enjoyed that from a historical perspective because i've seen stuff from roots i've seen different theatrical fictional historical fiction that sheds a lot of um insight into 
the early post slavery and the post years of slavery in the United States. I've never really seen something about well, what did those late 1800s look like, you know, in, in, in the Caribbean. So I, I thought that was dope. And um, it, it definitely provides a, a lot of insight to that. I want to catch that out. We have the, um, the new Biggie documentary. That comes out tomorrow, I think it is, March 1st. I think so. There's a new Biggie documentary that comes Looking out on March 1st. That. And a lot of that is on his early life as well, too. So that, that's a little bit of a different angle. Looking forward to that. Um, and what I've really enjoyed this month, too, man, shout out to one of our inspirations for this podcast. Shout out to the Earn Your Leisure Brothers. Um, they're really just going up in yeah, terms of just how much people listen to them, how much people's acknowledging their platform. You know, I see they all got Mark Cuban on there. The Breakfast Club featured them like... And this legit it was just on the Joe Button podcast. It was on, yeah. it was yeah yeah bro like they they are they and they they they're up for an award too like they are now not even just in terms of black finance they are one of the top educational finance podcasts period period like they've they're yeah. not even pigeonholed in the particular race you know uh, segment anymore they are one of the top educational financial podcasts if you want to learn something regards real estate stocks crypto whatever. That's now ranked um, amongst multiple podcast platforms. One of the uh, key things. Oh, I wanted to As talk about be. something too. Shout out to our bro Gary GC over at um, NYA. Um, he works in the podcast space, and he recently just started a um, black-owned pod platform. And that's I sent dope. him our RSS feed. We'll be on there starting on Tuesday. So that's as our dope. listeners know, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, and we'll also be on the um, PDM, PDM Media Podcast app. And basically, that's a platform. It's all multicultural podcasts. So um, our bro Cam, Cam's Handcrafted Cocktails is on there as well. That's dope. Um, and just all podcasts led by people of color, men and women um, that who, who who are people of color on that platform. So we'll be on there on Tuesday as well. So man, shout out to um, a, a, a brother starting a, a black owned uh, distrib distributor that highlights podcasts hosted by black folk. Um, but brother, great episode, man. Great episode. I'm loving this setup. We're going to bring more of these. Thank you guys for tuning in and seeing us. And you know, for those of us that never met us before, you hear the voices. Now you get to see the face. Absolutely. <laughs> Trevor's having a blast with the new mixer. That sounds like the beginning of uh, one of them Jay Electronica tracks <laughs> on, his, on his album. Yeah, I also want to shout out because we was talking about, um, we was talking about law, Rico Laws. Yeah. Uh, another point you just shout out. Uh, shout out to um, a, a lady. She's running for civil court in my district of Bedford-Stuyvesant. Okay. Her name's Marva. She got a whole thing going. Uh, Marva for judge. She running for King's what's County. A, what's her full name? Uh, I'm going to find it. Give me okay. one second. But she's running for 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 a borough for a borough judge. Uh, yeah. So, so there's different civil court mm -hmm. judges in our neighborhoods. She's running for one of them. Everything is vote for Marva. Like uh, her website is marvaforjudge.com. Got you. But you know, back to representation matters, and it's not a podcast sponsor, but it's just me personally as Dr. J endorsing her because I personally know her. Right. Okay. She worked on um, one of my kids' case. Um, but like we like we just kept talking about black communities, things to help. She hit me up when she was like, you know, something that's going on is that our seniors are not getting the COVID vaccine. Yep. And I was like, I know they can't get out to sit and wait on these these long ass lines, lines that yeah, go on. Yeah. Like I understand that. She's like, you know, help me. What can we do? Right. So, you know, so like one of the things we're about to do is I'm about to put up put together a proposal for a mobile vaccine unit um, to go into neighborhoods and do it. 
you know, I'm also, um, and I'm, I was waiting for Johnson and Johnson, uh, vaccine to come out because I want to get that one. It's been some controversy surrounding them in terms of people just not understanding what it means by them being 88% to prevent severe illness versus 95%. So I'm kind of like, if I go around and if it so happens that I have to give the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is considered the quote unquote least effective, I can be like, yo, I also got it. Like, I'm not just telling you to do it. Gotcha. So it goes back to that, you know, representation, you know, so, like all of us. I'm t- I'm telling you to do it because I also did it. So I just wanted to shout her out. But yeah, man. Dope, dope. I mean, I, it goes back to the perspective. We need more people who understand the full spectrum of our history, our current state and things of that nature being in these legal positions. And that doesn't mean just, you know, throw justice out the window and just start, you know, letting everybody go. But just people understand our situation and our situations and our people and our culture through a deeper uh, perspective. So, hey, man, dope. So share, share her, um, her handle again or her, her slogan so people can um, know to look out for her. Oh, uh, marvaforjudge.com. And this is for Brooklyn, Brooklyn Civil Court, right? Yeah. And it's also on Instagram. Her page is Marva for Judge as well. You want me? Uh, you want me to take us home with this hood scripture? Oh, so, yeah. A song that we've been playing heavy lately. Absolutely. So uh, this week's hood scripture comes from um, Jay Hover, Jay Z, Sean Carter, and this is that what it feels like off the Juice and the Black Messiah soundtrack. Scorpion bricks, sway before Orbeez double disc, forty on my lap, clap, sound like forty did the mix, filtered bass, sift the coke like Michelin star chef. Chef kiss to my wrist, I go dummy with my left. I arrest on my dick, try to audit all my checks. Too late, you know they hate when you become more than they expect. You let them crack and storm your capital, put their feet up on your desk, and you talking tough to me, I lost all my little respect. I'm selling weed in the open, bringing folks on from the feds. I know that payback's gonna be mean, I'm saving all my little bread. Pray for me, y'all, you know one day I'm gonna have to pay for these thoughts. Real niggas is extinct, it ain't safe for me, my dog. I'm killing, they killing niggas in their own hoods. That makes sense to you at all? You burnt your bridge to the other side. You know you can't swim across. You know niggas can't swim. They fried Mike after he died. Y'all know niggas can't win. You'll never land. Old jokes aside, I arrived on the day that Fred Hampton got, hold up, assassinated, just to clarify further. And I mean, I could even go even further because the ball work go crazy where he even mentioned Jeff Ford and the stones. Like, but I think it's important. Amazing. You know, especially that part when he says they hate when you make you make it further than what they expect. Mm-hmm. And then you let those people storm your capital. I lost all my little respect. You know, just meaning that, yo, you you let people storm and take over the capital that you call precious, but you give me a hard time for trying to make a difference for my community. I think that was important. I'm glad you, you took us home with that. Oh, absolutely, I mean, and just, just knowing his beginnings from reasonable doubt, I'm selling weed in the open, yeah. bringing whole folks on from the feds. Yeah. And we talked about this a lot. I mean, you know, for so long, Cannabis marijuana was this thing that is, you know, played a major role in, you know, the increase in incarceration rates of young black men and just, you know, oh, yeah. people of color and all, but particularly young black men. And now that, you know, marijuana is legal, you know, you have a lot of folks making top dollar, making a lot of money uh, from um, legal marijuana, but not so much us. And also the uh, reversal of some of these charges that we've incurred. So the fact that, you know, where he started in the game. Um, and that reasonable doubt out. Now he's running, you know, monogram, and he's also behind a lot of justice initiatives. But man, we we could talk about Hove all day, good brother. I'm gonna let you enjoy the rest of your Sunday from the block to the boardroom, episode 15. It was amazing. Absolutely, man, brother Trey. Good, bro. Looking forward to doing another one like this soon. Absolutely.
Take care, y'all. Yeah. Peace.